You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. All right. Well, let's pray and let's get started tonight. Um, I'm excited about what we're going to talk about, but let's get into the word. Father, we love you tonight. We thank you and we praise you for today. We thank you, Father, that your goodness and your mercy follow us everywhere that we go. We thank you, Lord, for the 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 sacrifice that the Lord Jesus made for us, the price that he paid. Thank you that he shed his blood and redeemed us and set us free. And Father, we thank you tonight that we can study your word and we can approach your word and believe to receive from it. And Father, I thank you that you said yourself, Jesus said that the word is spirit and it's life. And so Father, we believe as we partake of it, that it brings life and health and healing into our lives. Father, we thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that he is the one that brings revelation and insight. And so we believe for light to come tonight. We believe, Father, for not just information, but inspiration to come by the Holy Spirit. And Father, we thank you for it. And I believe as we hear the word, faith is going to rise in our hearts. Father, I thank you that we'll not be the same as we started. We'll be different. And we believe you for it, and we thank you for it in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Well, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles with me to John, the fourth chapter, John, the fourth chapter, and I'm going to meet you there in just a few moments. Uh, let's, I'm going to mention, uh, as we have, that, oh, by the way, this is week four of our series talking about the miracles of Jesus. And uh, I have studied or enjoyed studying this again, going back through and looking at these things. And so, uh, as I have mentioned to you before, a lot of the materials for this particular series of lessons come from Pastor Rick Renner and his resources called The Miracles of Jesus Christ. And so, uh, again, tonight will be no different. A lot of the material will come from him and what uh, he has shared and so uh, in John chapter 21, verse 25, this is one of our foundation scriptures. And this is the very last verse in the gospel of John. And it says, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And so Jesus did and said and taught more than we have in our four gospel records, but the Holy Spirit gave us what we need. He gave us more than enough that was necessary. And so, uh, but again, I want us to understand that, that Jesus accomplished a great deal in a very short period of time. You know, his ministry here on the earth was only three and a half years before he went to the cross. And so for him to be able to accomplish what John 21, 25 says, that's huge. And then uh, Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the whole point of this series is this one phrase right here, what Jesus did, he still does today. So when we study the miracles of the Lord and we go in and we look at the things that he accomplished, know that this is not 
something that has passed away. This is not somebody who has stopped doing these things. No, these are still things that Jesus does today. Now, what I want us to do, and, and I believe I have mentioned this, but always remember this as you're studying the Gospels and you're looking at the miracles of Jesus and the healings that he performed and things of that nature. When you study these things, always remember two things. Number one, Jesus wants to move on your behalf the same way that he did for the people in the Gospels. So they are no better. They're no, uh, you know, we're not any different. We have needs just like they did. And Jesus wants to move on our behalf just like he did on their behalf. But there is something that he has to have to work with in order to perform those things. And that is called faith, F-A-I-T-H. And so that brings me to this next point. And as you study the gospels, and you study the ministry of Jesus, I want you to always be looking for how Jesus brings people to a place of faith so that they can begin to receive from him. Faith is what opens the door to the power of God. It's the key that unlocks access to all the resources of heaven. And, and the reason that God set it up that way was because um, nobody will ever be able to point their finger in his face and say, you know what? You had favorites. You know what? You did this for them and you wouldn't do it for me. No, the, 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 the simple truth of the gospel is Jesus paid the price for every single person. He accomplished everything that he accomplished and all that is necessary in order to receive everything that Jesus bought and paid for is for us to simply believe and receive it in our hearts. You can't earn it. We can't deserve it. And so therefore the playing field is even. In other words, everybody has a chance to be able to receive from the Lord what he desires to do in our lives. So always be looking as we study these cases at how Jesus would steer somebody, uh, how he would say something to them, engage them in conversation, whatever the case might be for that particular instance, and bring them to a place of faith so that they could receive from him. All right. So now, all that being said, we're going to go to a story in John chapter 4, and this is uh, Jesus healing the nobleman's son. The nobleman is a phrase that's used in the King James, and uh, basically this is the second major miracle that Jesus accomplished. The scripture says that, and uh, this took place in the same area where Jesus turned the water into wine. So uh, which you know was Cana of Galilee. So just so a point of reference, and this will come into some importance in just a few minutes, but Cana of Galilee is about 25 miles west of Capernaum. And as you remember is in our previous studies, we have found out that Jesus has relocated his ministry from Nazareth down to Capernaum. You remember how we described Capernaum as a bustling place. It was a major major hub of activity for the people in that day. You had that Roman highway that ran right beside Capernaum. Capernaum was on the Sea of Galilee. And so, uh, you know, you had all kinds of trade and commerce and all that going on. And so it was an excellent place really for Jesus to base his ministry in order to maximize his exposure 
to the people of that day. You know, if he performed miracles, which he did all throughout Capernaum, and we'll make note of those as we study these things, but you can imagine how the word would spread up and down that Roman highway to all the other little towns about all the wonderful things that the Lord did. And so it was a great place for him to base his ministry. And so in uh, this particular situation, in John chapter 4, verses uh, 46, and I'm going to read it tonight. If you're following my notes, I, I put the New King James on my notes, but I want to go back and I want to read it from the Old King James first, just for a point of reference. And so it says in verse 46, so Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he'd heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said unto him, except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The nobleman said unto him, sir, come down ere my child die. Verse 50, Jesus said unto him, go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And now as he was going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then he inquired he of them of the hour which he began to amend. And they said unto him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in the which Jesus said unto him, Your son liveth and himself believed, and his whole house, in verse 54. And this is, again, the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea into Galilee. Now, there's a lot in these handful of verses, and so I'm going to endeavor to break this down for us tonight so that you can begin to understand and see the depth of what we're, what we're looking at here. And so I'm going to give you some of the Greek definitions and things, because again, it just makes this, this story come alive. Okay. And so in verse 46, it says, so Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he uh, made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman in the Greek language. This word nobleman means that this guy was either, he was either of royalty. In other words, he might've been a Jewish prince. He could have been uh, a Roman, a part of the Roman royalty could have been, you know, a descendant of Caesar. Uh, we don't know exactly. We just know that he was of a higher, higher echelon in society. And um, what's important to note about this is, again, we'll see this detail in the future, how this played into this interaction. And it says that there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick. Now, the word son in the Greek language is weos, and it means um, the future heir of this man's position. So this son was important to this man. Now, I'm quite sure that he loved his son, uh, but there were also other reasons that, that this man, this father, wanted his son to live because he was a royal inheritor. He was going to carry on the family lineage. And so then it says that he was sick. And so uh, this this mean this is a whole lot deeper than just a common cold. What this was is in the Greek it pictures one who is feeble or frail. They're incapacitated, bedridden, uh, disabled, in such poor health 
that they could not be transported. And so that's why the father did not bring the son with him to find Jesus is that the son just purely was not able to travel at all. So he was in really, really bad shape. All right. So, so it says that, um, the sickness, which the, the nobleman's son was afflicted was a fever. If you remember uh, Peter's mother-in-law had a fever. And you remember we talked about how fevers in that day were very, very dangerous because of course they didn't have the medications that we have today. And uh, they were very, they could, had the pie possibility of being fatal at that time in the first century. And so this was a very, very serious situation. And so it says in verse 47, that when he had heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him. So this father left Capernaum and went all the way 25 miles. Now that doesn't sound like much to us today, but 25 miles back in this day was huge because, I mean, this was a long travel to them because either it was on foot or it was on the back of a donkey or something of that nature. And so this was a huge effort that this father, this man put forth. And so it, he, he went to Jesus and implored him or besought him, the old King James says. Now, what's interesting about this word besought is that, and there's a, two ways that this could be looked at. One, it, this man was a nobleman. He was of the upper echelon. He was used to having people follow his instructions and orders and things like that. The other way to look at it, and I believe this is the way he intended it, it, it means to fervently demand, uh, to make a strong request, or uh, to convey an in, uh, incessant appeal. In other words, I, I implore you. Uh, and so what I believe that was happening here is this man was making a plea of faith to the Lord. And what this word also means is that you expect an answer. You expect the person that you're asking of this to comply and to grant whatever it is that you're asking. So this father approached Jesus, besought him that he would come and heal his son, and he was expecting results some way and somehow, okay? So, and it says that he implored him to come down and heal his son. Now, I want to park on that word heal for just a moment. Okay, this is very, very important because this word heal is the word that we translate or we translate into cure, C-U-R-E. Okay, and, and what I want you to hear is what the father was asking for. He was not asking for an instantaneous miracle, but he was asking for a cure. Now, what this implies is that this is a progressive reversal of a condition. In other words, this is something that happens over time. This is something that takes some time for it to transpire. And this word often denotes that healing comes to pass over a period of time. Okay. So it, it gives us a picture that this is a sickness that was going to be progressively healed rather than instantaneously healed. And I'm going to come back to that in just a moment, okay? 
So make a mental note of that. At the point of death, it says that uh, his son was at the point of death. That means he was wasting away. He was dying by the moment. And so this father was desperate. You know, he knew time was of essence. He knew that it was extremely important that something take place on the behalf of his son. And so uh, in verse 47, again, it says that he quickly sought the Lord and asked him to come. Now, I want to just make a note here, okay? This man traveled 25 miles to go and to find Jesus to pursue healing for his son. So he meant business. This man was focused. This man was driven in order to receive healing for his son. He meant to find Jesus and receive something from him. He was willing to be inconvenienced. I want us to emphasize that. This father was willing to be inconvenienced in order to receive something from the Lord. And as I was studying this, what came up in my heart was, anybody remember Naaman the Syrian in the Old Testament? You remember how he had leprosy and he had a, a servant girl in his household who was, an, who was uh, a Jew. And she said, well, why don't you go and, and see the prophet Elisha? And so Naaman goes down to Elisha's house. And you remember he uh, goes to Naaman's house, rocks, knocks on the door or whatever. Uh, and Elisha doesn't even come to the door. He sends his servant and tells him to go and wash in the Jordan River seven times and he would be healed. Do you remember what Naaman's response was? He got mad. Why? Because he felt like he did not get what he was entitled to. In other words, and besides that, he was given some instructions that he was supposed to follow in order to be healed. Can I say it to you this way? Naaman did not want to be inconvenienced. He just wanted to receive what he wanted to receive. And what we've got to do is, and I go back to this quite often, but the question arose in my heart as I was studying this, and this is the question, how bad do we want to receive something from the Lord? Are we willing to be inconvenienced? And in the day and time that we live, um, I think we are growing less and less willing, if you will. Um, you know, sometimes we don't want to exert effort. And, you know, uh, granted, our, our technology and culture sometimes caters to our every whim and our every desire. And, um, you know, we, we don't have to be inconvenienced a lot of times, you know. But the fact of the matter is that a lot of times our faith is going to require some effort on our part. It's going to take us exerting some consistent effort on our part in order to receive. Now, another thing that I want to point out is this, uh, this father, this nobleman did not, let me say it to you another way. He set aside his position in life in order to receive from Jesus. Okay. In other words, he didn't use his social status. He didn't use his, his, political position, whatever it might be, he was willing to set all of that aside in order to see Jesus. 
and to pursue him in order to receive what he needed to receive. You know, I'm sure that he was used to people maybe catering to him hand and foot and so forth and so on. And, uh, you know, I don't think I might be wrong, but I think he, I think he probably, if he'd have behaved like Naaman would have gotten the same response as Naaman. In other words, if he'd have just sent a message to Jesus and say, you know, said, come down here, I want you to heal my son. Uh, I don't know, but that he might've gotten the same response. Naaman God, he, Jesus would have had compassion on the son and wanted to minister to him. But here's the thing that I want us to see is that sometimes the Lord wants to see us take some steps of faith. He wants to see us act on what we believe. And sometimes that's going to take some effort. Sometimes that's going to take some pushing on our part. And that's exactly what this father was willing to do. He was willing to, to go a whole day's journey to find Jesus, to get Jesus to respond to him. And then think about this. He had a whole day's journey to go back home, not knowing what the condition of his son was. But yet he was willing to do it because he heard, apparently, that Jesus was a healer. And so he pursued after that. Now, so again, the, the word heal there in verse 47 is the Greek word iomai, okay? That might not mean anything to you, but again, it means to cure. What makes this word different from other Greek words for healing is that it means to progressively reverse a condition. Now, again, I want to pause on this for just a second because it, it denotes healing that comes to pass over a period of time. And sometimes, um, I'm going to say this to you, there are going to be times when you're believing God for something and it's going to be progressive and not instantaneous. Now, why does God work that way? Well, let me tell you why. Because if you will learn how to receive something progressively, you will know how to maintain it when the pressure comes and the devil tries to get you to give it up. If everything is always instantaneous, you don't know how to fight for what you are trying to obtain. You don't know how to stand in faith to believe God when the pressure comes. And you're going to have to know that, okay? And so what was interesting to me is this word Iomai appears 28 times in the New Testament where it's referring to healings. It appears many times within Jesus' ministry. And uh, it appears many times in the book of Acts where the early church, the apostles were going out and ministering healing to people. And here's what you always need to remember, okay? Um, when you are believing God for healing for a physical condition, let me help you with something here. And you're standing in faith. You have prayed. You've received your healing by faith. You're standing on the word of God. You're confessing the word of God understand this, something is happening whether you see it or not. Okay. I'm going to say that again. Something is happening whether you see it or not. What is happening is, is that the healing power of God is working in your body to bring about a cure. Now, what's, what's the big deal about a cure? Well, you're going to see later on in this particular story that this boy's healing 
was permanent. And what you're going to understand is that when the healing power of God is at work in our bodies, again, going back to what I said just a few moments ago, it becomes a permanent thing because you know what to do to fight for your healing. Okay. Now, let me give you some references where this comes into play. Okay. So put your little ribbon thing there in John chapter four. We're going to come back there and let's go look at some other scripture. Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. Mark 16 and verse 18. See, again, and, and listen, there's nothing wrong with believing God for a miracle. But understand that sometimes a miracle is progressive and not always instantaneous. Okay? So I, I want us to understand that. Okay? Um, Mark 16, verse 18. Jesus talking about these signs shall follow those who believe. Verse 17, in my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. <coughs> Excuse me. They will take up serpents. If they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. Now listen to this. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. The promise to us as believers is that we can lay hands on the sick and we might not see an instantaneous miracle, but we will see them recover. And I don't want us to ever despise the wonderful working power of God to cause somebody to recover. Okay. Don't begrudge that. All right. James chapter five and verse 16. Let's look at that one. The book of James chapter five and verse 16. Now this is, I'm just going to give you three, three or four of the, the scriptures that talk about this. All right, three or four, but there's 28 total. All right, James 5, 16. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. That word healed there is Iomai. And it means pray for one another and believe that healing has begun and a cure is being brought about by the power of God. That's what all is encapsulated in that word, Iomai. And it says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That's the scripture we're using for our Sunday series. But uh, the thing that I want you to see is, is that he said, pray for one another that you may be healed. Okay? Then this is going to surprise you. You're there right next to 1 Peter. Go over to 1 Peter 2.24. 1 Peter 2.24, it says this, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, and by whose stripes you were, Iomai, cured. Okay? All right, so again, a lot of times we pray, we believe to receive our healing. We believe that Jesus took our sickness, carried our diseases, and by his stripes, we are healed. 
So we pray, we, we believe that we receive that, but when something doesn't change immediately, our faith stumbles. You can't do that, okay? You have to believe, and this is why a lot of times you'll hear me pray something like this. Father, in Jesus' name, I believe and declare that healing, the healing power of God is at work within my body to bring about a healing and to effect a cure in Jesus' name. Now, I'm going to say something to you, and, and, and I want you to write this down, please. A healing is a healing. Okay? That, somebody said, what? I said, a healing is a healing. Whether it's instantaneous or progressive, the results are the same. And so what we have to do is when we don't see anything change immediately, we've got to believe the healing power of God is at work within my body and I am cured in Jesus' name. And what is happening is, is the power of God is at work in my body to undo what that sickness and disease was trying to accomplish in my body, okay? And that's exactly what that Greek word means. Go over with me to uh, 1 Corinthians, please. Chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, let's look at verse seven, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse seven. Now this might surprise some of you, but it's okay, all right? 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. This is where we're talking about the gifts and manifestations of the, the Spirit. It says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith or special faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another, the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different or diverse kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues, but one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Now back up to um, verse nine, where it says to another special faith by the same spirit, to another, gifts of healings. That word healings there is Iomai. Okay, and notice it's, it's different than the word that is translated or we have in the scripture where it says the working of miracles. So there is the gifts of Iomai or Iomai where uh, the healing power of God goes into a person's body and ministers healing and brings about a cure versus the working of miracles. Now, if you remember, not to split hairs, but working of miracles is a supernatural uh, intervention into the ordinary course of nature. A miracle is where something happens instantaneous. So there will be times when the Holy Spirit will work in that way. And we're going to see in just a little while why that happens. But I would say the vast majority of time, when you and I are used by the Lord to minister healing to someone, it is going to be Iomai. It's going to be 
to bring about a cure. Okay. So I want us to, to understand the difference there so that we can not lose faith when we pray and we believe and we receive healing in our bodies and nothing seems to change. I want you to believe and I want you to hold on firmly to the fact that when you pray and when you believe, the healing power of God is released into your body and is at work. Now, there's another part of that, which we saw in Mark 16, which is recovery. There's another part of that called restoration. You know, there might be something where the Holy Spirit or the power of God needs to not only eradicate sickness and disease, but there might be a situation where you need some restoration in your physical body, you know, where there's some damage there and something needs to be restored. Well, the same power of God is available to do all of that. Okay, so what we are to believe is, again, that the healing power of God is at work in my body to affect a cure and to bring about a healing. All right. So it's very important that we understand that. Okay. So again, we see the nobleman's level of faith. He's, he's, he's not necessarily believing for instantaneous results. He just wants results. Okay. And so he goes to Jesus and, uh, he tells Jesus, my son is at the point of death. Go back to, to, uh, John chapter four. Okay, and uh, I want us to look at verse 48 there, because Jesus says something that's very interesting. You know, you remember how I said to you, pay attention how Jesus brings people to a point of faith. Okay, and I want you to see something. Uh, verse 47, when the man had heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Now, Jesus says this to the father, except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, that sounds like, number one, it sounds like it came from out in left field somewhere. Like, why did you say that, Jesus? And number two, it sounds like a rebuke, but it's neither, all right? What Jesus is simply doing, now, if you want to in your Bible, uh, if you're reading from the old King James where it says except, the new King James actually translates it correctly. It should be unless. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. All Jesus is doing is acknowledging human nature. Anybody ever been on the interstate and... Uh, you know, you're going and things are moving really well. This happens to me sometimes on I-95 when I'm going down to Florida. And all of a sudden, traffic comes to a standstill. And here you creep along, you creep along, you creep along, and you finally come up, you know, a couple miles down the road and find out the reason that, uh, you know, that the traffic has come to a standstill is because there's a couple of police cars and they have a car pulled over on the side of the road. I'm just using this as an example. What happens? People want to slow down and see what is going on. Okay. Human nature, uh, there is something about signs and wonders, and I'll explain those two words in just a moment, 
that attracts people, that gets their attention. In other words, we like stuff like that. We, you know, we might not ever admit it, okay, because let me give you another example, a little more graphic. You know, when there is an accident on the highway, why do people slow down so they can look and see? We want to see what's going on, okay? I mean, it's a morbid thought, but it's the truth nonetheless, okay? So when Jesus said, unless you people see signs and wonders, the word signs there means a supernatural event, a supernatural event. So you want to see God moving. People desire to see God move. The word wonder there means the response to seeing that. So what human nature is, people want to see God move and they want to be or want to respond to God moving. Now, here's the thing that we've got to realize, okay? If we're ever going to see the harvest take place that God wants to have take place in this earth before Jesus comes back again, there is going to have to be a tremendous move and manifestation of the power of God, where people can clearly see that it is the power of God, and there is no denying that it's the power of God, and it is their response to that that causes people to be moved towards God, okay? So what Jesus is simply doing, he's just simply making a statement to this father about human nature, all right, we all want to see the power of God moving, talking about us humans. We want to see the power of God show up. We want to see supernatural events because we want to experience the response of what happens when those supernatural events take place. I mean, think about it. You know, I read sometimes stories and of course, being a history buff, I love history. And I read sometimes about the old revivals of Charles Finney and some of those great evangelists that moved and ministered in the 1800s and how they would come into a major, major city in America and would begin to hold uh, meetings and the entire city would shut down because the power of God began to move in that city and people were so compelled to respond that all the bars would close, all the, the brothels would close, everything that was going on that it was of that nature would shut down, and people would respond by the tens of thousands to come to these particular services because the power of God was present. Okay, and that's what Jesus is saying. That's all he is making a, a response to. Okay, and so what it's going to take, therefore, Jesus is really saying this unless you see signs that baffle and signs that make you wonder, it's difficult for you to believe. Human nature wants to see results. And that's all that Jesus was saying on that. Okay, so verse 49. The nobleman said unto him, Sir, come down, lest my child die, or come down before my child dies. Now, I want you to circle in your Bible the word sir, S-I-R. Now, when I was in high school, 
Now, this is going to probably amaze some of you because you, you, you didn't know this about me, but I used to sing in high school. I played in the band, played in the orchestra, and I used to sing. I was a music nerd, okay? And so one of the things, uh, one of the groups that I sang in, we had a, an ensemble. It was about 20 people, if I remember correctly, that sang. And one of the songs that we sang was a Latin song called Curie. And this word curie was a Latin term that acknowledged, and I'm surprised they let us sing it in public school, but it acknowledged the lordship of Jesus Christ. It acknowledged that he is the king of kings and the lord of lords. Maybe they got by with it because it was in Latin and nobody could understand what they what we were singing. But that is the Greek word that is used here when this man said, sir. It is the Greek word curie which means what he is saying is, sir, I believe you are Lord of all. I believe you have complete authority. I believe that when you say something, stuff happens. I believe that when you open your mouth, nature has to respond to you because of who you are. All of that is in that one little word, sir. So in that, that, phrase, this man was responding to the authority that Jesus has and had then. It would be similar to, uh, you remember when Paul was on the road to Damascus, or Saul at that time, and uh, the light appeared, and he he got knocked on his bottom, and he's sitting there, and uh, the Lord asked him, he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul's response was, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? Well, the moment that he said, Lord, was the moment Paul got born again. What was he doing? He was acknowledging the lordship of Jesus Christ. First of all, he had to believe that this man Jesus was alive. And then secondly, he had to make him Lord of his life. And that's exactly what he was doing. So this nobleman, this father, when he said, sir, come down before my child dies, He's acknowledging the complete authority and lordship and mastery of Jesus over the circumstances, okay? So when he said this, he opened the door for Jesus to be able to move in his life. What he's saying, in effect, is, Lord, Master, I'm submitting to you, even though I'm, I might have some power and authority in life as in my stature in society, I humble myself, and I know that you are the only one that can change my situation. I know you're the only one that can minister to my son in this situation. If you don't respond, this is what the father's saying, if you don't respond, my, father, my, my son will die, okay? And so uh, what this word means in the Greek, to die, it means to wither or waste away. In other words, this is what the result is going to be, Jesus, if you don't respond. Now, verse 50 says this, Jesus said to him, go your way, your son lives. Now, I want to stop right there, and I want to focus in on this instruction that Jesus gave this man. In the Greek language, it means, here's what uh, Jesus was actually saying to him, get moving. Okay, 
get moving. Your son is alive. Your son lives. Take your journey. Go ahead and leave. Take your journey. Now, what do you think would have happened if this father had stopped and said, but Jesus, I really need you to come. I really need you to do this. I, Lord, I, I just, I don't know if this is going to work or not. No, the man, I love this story because when, when Jesus said, go your way, your son lives, notice what the man's response was in the latter part of verse 50. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. So what is it that Jesus said to him? Your son lives. And the man believed that, didn't even respond to Jesus, and Jesus was cool with that, but he didn't even respond to that. He immediately turned around and headed home. Now, keep in mind what I said to you earlier. This man is a full day's journey from home. It wasn't like he could get in his car and ride 15 minutes across town. No, he was, he was on foot. He was on in a journey, and it was going to take him a little while to get home. So can you imagine what his head started telling him? What are you doing? This isn't going to work this time. I mean, Jesus isn't coming with you. All he said was, your son lives. But the man stayed in faith, believing that what Jesus said is what the end result would be, okay? So in verse 51, and as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, what did they tell him? Well, I'm sorry, he didn't make it. What'd they tell him? Your son lives, your son's alive. Now, in the Greek language, which, which is interesting about this, is that it says that they told him over and over and over and over and over. In other words, they were so excited by what had happened and that the power of God had shown up in this man's household that they couldn't stop telling him. They couldn't stop talking about it. And so, you know, they keep telling him, your son's alive, your son's alive, your son's alive. Okay, he's full of life, they were saying to him. He, he's no longer, no longer lifeless and dying. He's, he's fully alive. So the man, in verse 52, he says, Then he inquired of them the hour when he began to amend. Uh, we would say, and the New King James says, Tell me when he got better. Now, the man wasn't doubting. The man was corresponding. He was making the connection in his thinking of when Jesus said what he said and the change began to happen. And so the servants replied yesterday at the seventh hour before the fever or seventh hour, the fever left him. Now what's interesting in the, the, the old King James, it says, and then he inquired of them the hour when he began to amend that word amend in the Greek language means fully dressed. It doesn't mean he just got better. This boy was up and fully clothed. I don't know how old he was, but I guarantee you he wanted something to eat. And, uh, you know, in other words, he was ready to go. This healing had taken place. Now, what happened? The healing began at the seventh hour 
when Jesus spoke to the man. Now, this would have been about one o'clock in the afternoon when, the, when Jesus spoke to him and said, go your way, your son lives. Now, I don't know how far or how long into the journey he is at this point, but apparently it's, a, it's several hours later. And so the healing began at the moment that Jesus spoke those words. And it began at the moment that the man believed and he turned. See, the key to releasing the healing power of God at that moment was the man turning and going his way. If, if he'd have stood there and argued with Jesus, if he had doubted what it was, what was going to happen, he would have shut down the power of God at that moment. But at the moment Jesus said that, the man got that locked in his heart and he turned and he headed towards home and he believed that the results were going to be just as Jesus said. Now, what the father didn't know at that moment was that the healing had begun, that the cure had begun that the process had begun. Now he couldn't see it. He couldn't tell there was any difference. They couldn't text him and tell him, hey, your son's getting better. He couldn't FaceTime at home and find out what's going on. No, he had to just wrestle with that and hold fast to that in his heart the whole time he's going home. Now here's my point in this. You and I are gonna have to do the same thing. Now, listen, somebody says, well, I sure wish Jesus would give me a word like he gave that man. Well, let me tell you something. He already has. He's already given you a word. He's already told you, by my stripes, you were healed. He's already told you, my God shall supply that need. But here's what we do, okay? So let's say, let's take it out of the physical realm for just a moment. Let's take it over into the financial realm, okay? Because here's what we do. We believe God. We say, Father, I have a need, whatever that need is. Let's, let's say it's $100 just for the sake of this illustration. And so, Father, I release my faith right now. I believe you're Jehovah Jireh, the God who supplies my every single need. And I believe and I receive that need met right now in Jesus' name, okay? So what do we do? We wait around for a $100 check to show up. But when that $5 gets put in our hands, we disregard that. Okay? No, don't do that. That's part of the process. That's part of God moving in that situation. It could take five people or, or, or five situations putting $20 in your hands. But don't despise that because it's not coming to you all at one time. Do you understand what I'm saying? A healing is a healing. A cure is a cure. A need met is a need met, no matter how it takes place. All right? Now, uh, let me begin to wind this up, okay? Now, the when it says in... Uh, Verse 52, then he inquired of them the hour which he began to amend, and they said unto him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The word left there means this, it permanently departed. In other words, it didn't come and go. It didn't, 
you know, linger around and then the boy got better and then he got worse and then he got better and then he got worse. No, the moment that the process began, it was permanent. In other words, that once the healing fully manifested, it was permanent, it left immediately, and it could not, the healing could not be dismissed. All right. Now, so verse uh, 53, so the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And now here's the key. And he himself believed and his whole household. Now I want you to see this. This one instance of, of Jesus moving on this man's behalf and healing his son caused his entire household to be made whole. That's what the Greek says, that his whole, his entire household was made whole. It, it means that his entire household was complete. It was entire. That, um, the, the nobleman and his entire household then believed in Jesus that day and his entire household was made whole. Now let's read, let's wrap it up by looking at verse 54. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he came out of Judea into Galilee. The Greek word for the, the, the English word did is the Greek word poieo, which means this. It carries the idea of to create. So what I want you to do is I want you to believe. And, and here's what, what we need to understand. We attribute the creative power of God to the book of Genesis. God did not stop creating when the book of Genesis chapter three came about and Adam sinned. God is still a creator. And what this verse implies is that as Jesus ministered, there were creative things that took place. What does that mean? That means that there were people, for whatever reason, let's say in the physical sense, that they had lost a limb. Or maybe, you know, they were like a leper that had lost an appendage to leprosy. What you need to also see is not only were those people healed, but there were some that there were creative things that took place and uh, appendages were recreated. Body parts were recreated. Matter of fact, I'm reminded of uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was being arrested. Now you have to put a couple of the gospels together to get this whole picture. But you remember when they came up and Peter grabbed the sword and cut Malchus's ear off, the, the high priest servant cut his ear off. I mean, I mean, just straight. I'm sure Peter was gunning for the whole head, but he got his ear instead. So here's the guy's ear off the side of his head. It's now laying on the ground. Well, the Bible says that Jesus healed him. Well, if you look at it in the actual Greek language, Jesus didn't reach down and pick up the man's cut off ear and reattach it. No, the Bible says that Jesus recreated a brand new ear where the man's ear was and it was cut off. So my point is this, when you're believing God, don't limit him. 
Don't limit him to your scope and your realm of understanding. If something needs to be recreated, the Lord can do it. Okay? All right, and we'll stop right there for tonight. Praise God. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.